In whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for this chance to meet your name. And as we do in this season of Epiphany, would you speak to our hearts and minds in your name? Amen. Great to uh, see you this morning. Great to be seen. Uh, Great to have you, especially if you're visiting. We're going to be um, looking um, at two things this morning, really out of Matthew 10. And I want to share with you just, because I know some of us are new, um, and some of us have been around a while, and some of us, very few of us actually grew up in this Anglican world. And so I want to speak on two things this morning, what leadership and authority looks like in the Anglican church, especially here at St. Bart's, and then how we're going to turn our vision into action over this year. All right? So um, how are we going to turn our vision into action? And then, uh, I didn't make that up, I wish I did, but how are we going to turn our vision into action? And then what does authority and leadership look like here at St. Bart's? Um, And a lot of this has come from I, um, because many of you have been listening to a, a particular podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Um, I've started listening to it. And, um, you know, when, being in London, um, it's not like we were in his direct orbit of Mars Hill, but, you know, the, he, the Mars Hill was one of the first churches to embrace the new technology, and so we did, we did engage a little bit. Um, and I think in this age where people are crying out for more, and authenticity is one of the big things that the world needs right now. I think it's just helpful to disclose and be completely open and say, this is how the bus works, and this is where the bus is going. If you are looking to go to a different destination, uh, we, can, we can recommend a different bus. You know, in London, I was told when we first arrived, we had never lived in a city with constant traffic. So my first six weeks there, I hardly slept, because if it wasn't a train, it was a plane. If it wasn't a plane, it was the cars. If it wasn't the cars, it was with those dog walkers. You know, there was constant noise, and I was terrified. Our first night, we arrived in London. We moved from Oxford. It was like a 50-mile drive, which took a day and a half. No, it took like four hours. I kid you not, can I, I'm going to share this. Rachel wept the whole drive from Oxford to London. We're going from this idyllic place with easy access to nature to one of the biggest cities in the world. And we got into southwest London, pretty close to the center, and we, we unpacked, we didn't have much, and they were like, what do we do? I said, I think we should go for a walk and try to get used to the city. And so we crept down, held hands, and did a tour of the block, and then ran upstairs and went to bed. We were, we were just so overwhelmed by being in, in Greater London. Um, but the way to get to know London and see how everything connects is to take the bus. And so I took the bus everywhere. I got on the double-decker. I would race up, get the first seat at the front, so I just saw the windows, and I saw how it all connected. But you had to know the number on the bus. Because if you didn't know the number on the bus, you could end up in Shoreditch, 
And when you just don't want to end up in Shoreditch because it's the end of the line on the extremity of the city, right? And you, if you're going to go somewhere, you need to know how to get back. And so really, this is part of helping you know the number on the bus, where we're going. And, and we're going to take a church retreat to London, all of us. I don't know how we'll do it when yachts, when cruise, cruise liners open up again. Maybe we'll just buy a you know, uh, passage for 400 and we'll just go. I think it'd just be fun. But as we do, let's just turn to your page 8 in your gospel. Uh, in your, um, we'll look at the gospel reading, page 8 of your bulletin. And you have it there read by Chris. Let me read it to you uh, from the message because I think it's, it frames what we're about to talk about really well. This is how it goes in the message. Don't think you have to put on a fundraising campaign before you start. You don't need a lot of equipment. You are the equipment. And all you need to keep that going is three meals a day. Travel light. When you enter a town or village, don't insist on staying in a luxury inn. Get a modest place with some modest people and be content there until you leave. When you knock on a door, be courteous in a greeting. If they welcome you, be gentle in your conversation. If they don't welcome you, quietly withdraw. Don't make a scene. Shrug your shoulders and be on your way. You can be sure that on Judgment Day they might be sorry, but it's no concern of yours now. Jesus has preached the gospel. The disciples have seen it. He's demonstrated the gospel in signs and wonders, and then incredibly engaging, compassionate conversations with people like the Samaritan woman at the well. And now he's charging the disciples to go and do what he's done. And this is where we, we can kind of skip to the action. He, he's charged them to go and do it in the manner and in the spirit he did it. So you're the equipment. Travel light, be modest, be content, be courteous, be gentle in conversation, quietly withdraw, shrug your shoulders. If they disagree, it's of no concern of yours. Isn't that refreshing? I find it refreshing. I was, uh, the, the boys and I have been watching one of these seminal works of leadership at the moment that I commend to you all um, it's the book of Boba Fett. Anyone watching the book of Boba Fett? Willa, are you here? I, I'm sure you are. I'm sure you've already seen it all, yeah. It's interesting. It's a great, it'll be a classic. If you're not a Star Wars fan, forgive me. Um, there's still time. Um, Boba Fett has taken over, or is trying to take over the empire left by Jabba the Hutt. But he's doing it a different way. And in one of the opening scenes, it says... It's easier to rule by fear. And he says, we're not going to do it that way. We're going to lead with respect. And I love that. So even, even Star Wars, not that we ever had any doubt, even Star Wars at moments gets it right. And so it comes down to when we think of the local church, we think of how do we say what Jesus said demonstrate the gospel the way he did and do it in the manner and in the spirit that he did it, the first thing we have to think about is authority. And authority has two main approaches. Authority can be seen as a system of structures and things in place to prevent people from doing the wrong thing. And what you end up is a whole system that is all about behavior management. 
The prison service is a wonderful example. But no matter how well prisons are run and organized, they can't guarantee that people will do what's expected. The other side of authority is what's modeled by Jesus, is that we, is about asking the question, what is the call, what is the purpose on this person's life? And then how can we deploy everything we have at our disposal to ensure that the redemptive gold in their lives comes to the surface? And how can we build community around that person to enable them not just to survive, but to thrive? The other way to look at it is, what does authority look like when you begin to think that it's actually literally possible to model your life on the life of Jesus and that over time, as you follow his example, your life begins to change and become more like his. That's very core to what we're, we're doing here. And so what that looks like then is that there's a structure in place. And the structure in place is that there are two main, um, authority is divided into two main groups. It's divided on one side to the rector and the other side to the vestry. Well, let's move the rector's role to the side for a moment. Let's think about the vestry. The vestry are, uh, at the moment, six members of the congregation, and there's a standard they have to uh, follow, live by. They have to be members of the church. They're expected to give, attend, and to serve. But what's more is their role is to be responsible and have authority over all things temporal, all things financial, okay? The rector's role is to have authority over all things spiritual. So this is how it works. Uh, the role of the rector is to hire and fire. The role of the vestry is to set the budget. So I could say, we're going to hire six new clergy. And the vestry say, well, you've got no budget for it, so you know, go, go for it. <laughs> it's a check and balance. It's a check and balance, and it's designed to add uh, a real, a team mentality. And I think that's really the word for um, this next year, is that it, this next year is really going to be all about teams. We're going to have to continue to be flexible with our plans, right? Because who knows what's happening in this, in this world where we're living with the realities that we're living in. Um, but... Uh, it's going to be all about teams. So the vestry's primary role is to protect the stated vision of the church. And so if you turn to your bulletin and go to the, on page 15, you'll see the vision. The vision there is to connect the people of East Dallas with God and his people so that we might behold God and become more like him. So the role of the vestry is to protect that vision. It's not to get involved with the minutia of how does check-in work, though we might need help because we're still a growing church. It's really to stay up at the 30,000-foot level and to ensure that things line up so that our vision's being followed. That's the first thing. The second thing is that the vestry also ensures the values of the congregation. So on page 15, oh, look, we, amazingly, we have our values there. Authenticity, hospitality, mystery, wholeness and healing and rootedness. The vestry is also there to make sure that these play into how leading happens. They're also there to ask the difficult questions. 
questions like, how are we actually trying to live out our vision? Or, what are the means and programs that we're gonna put into place so that that vision becomes a reality? Or a question that we've been asking since I arrived in March, where do we focus our efforts? What are we going to do now? And you know, that's kind of, that, those are the kind of questions that make up a lot of the vestry meetings. The third thing that the vestry does, so that's two things. The vestry protects the vision. The vestry ensures the values are being worked out. The third thing is that the vestry upholds the financial security of the church, of the institution. Uphold the financial integrity of the church. And then the last, but not least, the fourth thing they do is they support the rector in his role. And the, the concept is, is that rectors may come and go but the church will always be there. The church will always be a faithful presence, given this model. The rector is the main agent of the vestry to accomplish one, two, and three, to ensure the vision is being pursued, protected, make sure the values are being worked out, and third, that the, uh, the financial integrity of the church is lasting. And the vestry's primary role then is to help the rector accomplish these things. So you don't have vestry members who have a portfolio say, oh, I'm the vestry member over children's work. No. That's a different structure, it's a different model. Here it's more, we're all in this, we're all, all the vestry members are willing and are expected to ask the difficult uh, and the challenging questions. Vestry leadership is never honorary, so we don't ever want a, a group of people who are gonna rubber stamp what the rector wants, but we also don't want devil's advocates. <laughs> who needs a devil's advocate? I, I honestly think that it's unhelpful in a vestry situation, but if we have authenticity, transparency, and an ability to ask honest questions, the role of the devil's advocate is unnecessary. So is that helpful? The vestry then plays a really significant role. The second thing then is what's the role of the rector? It's to lead the vision. So the primary role is to articulate, preach, teach, interpret, uphold, exemplify, shape, and develop the stated vision of the parish so that the vision becomes the focal point to the congregation. That's, that's the stated primary role and part of that is, it's the role of the rector to build the staff and to build up teams that will make sure that the ministry happens. The rector is also meant to provide for the people in their pastoral and spiritual care. Now, not all on his own, but to put people in place, volunteers, create structures so that happens. And then to develop stewardship, and then lastly, to maintain spiritual accountability. Um, I am directly under the authority of my bishop, Philip Jones, who we expect will be here next Sunday for the service where I'll be installed as the rector here at St. Bart's. He and I meet up regularly. He will call me out of the blue. I'll call him and we talk through things and, you know, it's, it's a very healthy relationship. But also, if anything were to happen, the vestry has an immediate recourse to go and get rid of. So if I, you know, go crazy and start doing a bunch of stuff that is out of alignment, 
there's a direct route to keep the spiritual accountability of the church and of its leaders there. So you see, the, the whole setup is so that the power and the influence doesn't rest on one. And that the yoke is carried and spread out across the congregation so that if one person is suddenly absent, the whole thing doesn't implode. And so the vestry and the rector work together as a team, and then the staff and the ministry team under the rector work through the church to ensure that the ministry of Jesus is proclaiming the gospel the way he did it, demonstrating the gospel the way he did it, and doing both of those things in the manner and the spirit that he did. So that there's a gentleness, there's a courteousness, and there's something about Jesus in everything we do. Just wanted to go on record and, and paint that picture. We're looking forward to next week. I'm so thrilled to, to be here and to be serving the congregation in this way. Uh, but at some point, because um, none of us last forever, you know, none, and none of us are irreplaceable. At some point, I will be replaced. But the church will still stand because of the way that the structures are there in place. So not to be too somber, a, a point there. Let's, if you turn to page... There go the notes. Page 16, the penultimate page. You'll see there a list. And this is the plan I alluded to in the, um, it's just a little, like, it's a little concept, but this, these are the seven categories that are required, these seven engines, if you will, of a healthy church. And every healthy church needs all of them. If one is missing, then the church will never really lean into fully what it's called to be. So let's start at the top, evangelism. What, is, what, is, what do we mean by evangelism? What is an evangelism engine? It's simply a platform that attracts those who are disconnected with the church and connects them into our community by walking, welcoming and living a life that draws others by exposing them to the love of Jesus. In our vision, it's about connecting the people of East Dallas with God and his people. That's what evangelism, that's what we mean by that. And at some point this year, we're going to fire up that engine. The key is, is getting the sequence right. The second engine you see there is the worship engine. And what that is, is what we've focused on the most, which is a three-stream Anglican service that attracts people and creates a space where they can meet with the living God that speaks, prays into, leads people into what they need from the Lord for all that they face. So we need a music team, we need a sound team, we need greeters and ushers, someone to set up the coffee in the morning, someone to put out the cones outside so the children uh, can run, well, walk with wild abandon to the playground, and all of the details, right, so that when people come to church, a place is set up for them. Um, the third is the children's engine, which is a one that we've also, so I would say the worship engine and the children engine have been fired up first, and they're doing well. There's room to grow always. But this is a platform that cares for and disciples children by helping parents in their goal to raise godly men and women. That's the goal. 
And that's what we're seeking to do. And there's work to do. We have a middle school group, and I know middle schoolers, you're, you're in with us today. Um, and we're looking at some stage this year to add another component of that, which is our youth ministry. Discipleship, which is where people can grow and mature in their fullness of Christ. And that's through teaching people to hear from God through scripture, prayer, and the community, having people serve the least of these, and helping people identify their gifts in ministry. That is ongoing, but again, that is something we're going to, to invest in in this year. And then our pastoral engine. Last Sunday, we talked about our connect groups. And, and leadership really is a three-legged stool in the church. You've got the rector, the ministry and staff team, the vestry, and then the pastoral leaders, our connect group leaders. Because we can't possibly know all that's happening in everyone's lives. And so the people who are leading our connect groups can easily call and say, hey, so-and-so has had this happen. Can you call them? Can you reach out? And so all of a sudden, we can find things out that are going on in people's lives and really um, put pastoral care in action. Our administrative engine, which is probably one of the most exciting engines. You know, people always want to have coffee with the clergy and say, can I get involved in the administration of the church? Uh, sadly, I've never had that conversation. But if you're out there, I'd love to talk to you about it. This is really about creating healthy structures and systems so that people trust the organization with their time, their talent, and their treasure. This is all about trust. If we do it well, then people know and trust and are willing to follow the leading of the church. It's about creating structures that work and that have clear on and off ramps that allow leaders to lead, teachers to teach, pastors to pastor, and evangelists to evangelize. And then there is, last and not least, the staff ministry leaders engine, the leadership engine, and that's really about a group of people, some who are paid, some who volunteer, who know their gifts and calling and can use them to fuel the engines of the church who are accountable to clear goals and outcomes. Throwing a lot at you. The goal is that in this year, 2022 and beyond, we will proclaim the gospel. We will demonstrate the power of the gospel and we will seek to do it in the manner and the spirit that Jesus did. With gentleness, courteous, full of respect, we will connect the people of East Dallas with God and his people. And in order to do that, we need teams at every level. Katie's done a remarkable job with the children's team. There's a remarkable job being done amongst the worship team through Becky and Chris and others. And as the time and as the Lord leads, we are gonna be deploying teams in all of these areas, not so that we can become great and so that we can boast and look at what we've done, but so that Jesus can be made known. People have never needed Jesus more than they do today with all that's going on. And so that's the plan. That's opening the curtain. That's showing you very clearly how we structure. And if you have any questions on this or want to know more, there's a document that we have for our vestry leaders, which is a very simple two-sided sheet, a clear delineation on the roles of the rector and the vestry. I know I, I haven't had time to dive all into it. I didn't want to put too many people to sleep. 
um, but also with our plan of how we're going to continue to build the church so that Jesus can be honored. Um, we have more on that as well. Would you stand? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the work that you're doing in us. Thank you for the work that you're doing through us. Jesus, we look to you as our example. We ask that you would meet with us so that we might become more like you, so that we would lead like you, so that we would love like you, so that we might be your presence wherever we go, so that wherever we go during the week, your kingdom would go with us. And Jesus, we have the structure, we have the plans, but unless we have your presence, we lack the one very great thing that we need, which is you. So even now, Lord Jesus, in the midst of our service now, we ask that you would give us more of your presence. We ask that you'd help us as we read the Bible, as we pray, as we meet together as a community. We need more of you. Give us the grace that we need to do this together. Thank you for all who've gone before us, that has led St. Bart's to where it is now, and we thank you for all that you will do. Would you bless the other churches in the area? Would you bless Redeemer Bible Church? Thank you for their hospitality and the way that they have opened their doors to us. We ask that you'd bless them abundantly for that. And finally, Lord, we lift to you those near and dear to us, perhaps in need of healing, perhaps in need of encouragement, strength. We ask that you'd bless them now. In Jesus' name, amen.